In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. The parable in our gospel today of the unjust steward may be the most difficult of the parables. Because of its difficulty, some have questioned whether Jesus even spoke it. Context matters. It comes immediately after the parable of the prodigal son. You know that parable quite well. The son is the wicked one, and the father is the everlasting, merciful one. In that parable, of course, the son's scandalous behavior is not really commended. It's rather discouraged. But the father welcomes him home despite it. But then you get this parable right after it, and it seems Jesus has it completely backwards. The wicked steward who wastes his master's possessions, he's the approved one. And the master who allows such things to happen unjustly, he's also approved. We might ask the question then, how can these two parables stand side by side and be uttered by the same Jesus? Well, maybe it has to do with how we understand parables. When Jesus tells a parable in the Gospels, It's meant to upend your expectations, often upending what you think is right and just and good. But they don't always do it the same way. Sometimes, as in the prodigal son, it's done by way of a positive example, the loving and merciful father. We are the prodigal. Return to your heavenly father and he will receive you with open hands, with mercy. Sometimes the parables describe the work of God as in the parable of the sower with the seed. Sometimes they describe the reality of the church in this world and the difficulty we face as Christians, such as in the parable of the good and bad trees. But Jesus' parables are expectation-defying and really, as especially the case today, upside down in the eyes of the world the sons of this world. Really, today's parable is unique for us because the point of comparison where you see yourself in the text is by way of the negative. Or in literature, this is called the antitype. There's the example, and then there's the opposite of the example, the antitype. You are not to be like the character positively, but in the opposite sort of way. Thus, Jesus says in the parable, at the conclusion, the sons of this world are more shrewd or wise or prudent, we might say, in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. He's not telling you to be like the sons of the world, but he's showing you how the sons of this world are more wise or prudent than we are at times. Maybe we should be like them just in a different sort of way. So think of it. In the text, the sons of this world use their wealth, the wealth that God gave them. (laughs) Remember, they're like the birds of the heaven and the lilies of the field. They use their wealth to make friends. So it is for the sons of light that you could make friends with wealth by caring for the church and by showing mercy to those in need. But notice that nobody wastes the wealth in the text. It's used quite wisely to gain friends 
so that he would have a home. And he might even have a job after he gets run out. And of course, that's smart, really. Everyone knows to have a contingency plan or an umbrella, golden umbrella in place, if things don't quite work out with their employer. If you don't, you are not very shrewd or wise. Especially if that employee, or you, are not all that wise with your time, maybe squandering your employer's money or assets. It's especially wise to have a backup plan then, of course. And that's the case in our parable today with this unjust steward. Does that make him the hero or the villain of the story? If he's the hero, then what sort of hero behavior is that? Squandering master's possessions in order to gain friends. Really seems to be more of a villain. Squandering his lord's good assets. What does that mean for you then? If he is our example, this villain, are you supposed to squander the blessings of God, wasting the time he's given you on unimportant things, abusing the vocations he's called you into by maybe borrowing the paper or postage, using your employer's time to check social media, or just pursuing your own personal interests with your employer's assets? You see the confusion. If Jesus is setting up the unjust steward as an example for you, a hero, then his instruction for you is to waste your possessions. Actually, to waste the ones he's given you. Something about that doesn't make sense, does it? But what should really bother us then is that it is the master, the Lord, who commends this unjust steward for wasting his possessions. Is the master a hero, or is he too complicit in the whole villainy of the story? The sons of this world, and we're just as much a son of this world, will not understand this parable. It makes no sense from our perspective. Taste taking your master's possessions and squandering them, that's bad. Unjust behavior in forgiving the debts of your friend to gain friends. Well, that's also bad, right? The problem here is, again, Jesus is trying to upend our expectations, not of this world, but of his church. We've been considering the whole parable from our own perspective, our own standards of justice, what is fair, what is right. Even our thoughts of what it means to be a good steward of God's gifts. The way that we understand wealth. And as long as we read this parable only from our perspective, from our vantage point, we're always going to try to find from the parable moral instruction, how to behave, laws for Christian living, what to do. But if we try to read the parable this way, it doesn't make sense. Unjust steward is commended. The wasteful master is the villain. We can't understand this commendation of unrighteousness, this squandering of possessions, this seeming indifference of the wealth of the, by both the steward and by the steward's lord. Really, the nonsensical morality of the tale. 
So probably by this point, the sermon is getting a little long for you, and you're probably a little confused what to do next. (laughs) So I'd like to suggest to you that we consider this parable not from our perspective, but from God's perspective. Don't read the parable for our own instruction on our own thoughts of morality. Not to read this parable for lessons on how to spend money, your money. Even to read from the parable a stewardship sermon, which you are loath to hear anyway. (laughs) Read it as if this parable is describing God and his servants themselves. Read it by way of anti-type or anti-hero. Learn from the opposite of the unjust steward and see in actually the unjust steward Christ himself. And that way, Jesus is showing us or teaching us to view God in a radically different way than we would ever expect to know him by nature. To show us how much different we are now by baptism as sons of light than the sons of this world. Let's read it from God's perspective. Your Father, God the Father, the Lord of the text, entrusted to his Son, Jesus, the stewardship of a great house, the heavenly kingdom. It is full of rich treasures, of forgiveness, abundant mercy, and everlasting life. But these possessions are not for the Son of God alone. Thus, the Son of God died to the Lord of the house. He squandered all the wealth that was his as he was forsaken and humiliated. And upon his death, the great steward Jesus took all the possessions that are rightfully his under his stewardship, the possessions of heaven, and gives them away freely to the poor, the needy, the sick, even to the unjust or the unwise. He forgives his master's debts, pours out all the great gifts from that deep treasure chest, and he gives it to all those, actually to everyone, who don't deserve it at all. And it is for the work of Jesus, for the steward, that your heavenly Father, the Lord of the text, commends him for his wisdom, for his shrewdness. By unjustly dying, rising for the sins of all mankind, by unjustly giving the wealth of the Father to those who don't deserve forgiveness, he has gained for the Father his kingdom. He has won for his Father friends to dwell with him in eternal tabernacles. Indeed, from our perspective, it is true that we owe God great debts, debts that we could never repay. But from his perspective, that is by his son's forgiveness of sins, he has forgiven them all. And actually, our Lord's forgiveness is greater than that, than the unjust steward who only forgave, say, just 20% of the wheat that was owed in the text, or 50% for the other. No, in otherworldly, unjust wastefulness, 
or rather what we would call God's forgiveness, Jesus has removed the entire wage that is owed for our sin, for your sin. There is no balance owed. There is no merit needed. No worthiness to work on. Thus, Jesus actually is giving today's parable, showing us how the sons of this world are unjust, and sh- but thereby shrewd, to show us how, by way of antitype, God, in his mercy, is even more unjust, and thereby wise. The mercy shown to us in his steward Jesus, squandering all of God's love upon us, poor, miserable sinners, <laughs> that is the greatest injustice of all. To our and to the sons of this world perspective, his mercy is so reckless that we might even call it unjust. And it bothers us then. As sinners, we want to add to his mercy to find some way to get back into that transactional debt relationship with the master, to pay back some little portion, at least, of what is owed for our sin. But that's not how it works. Grace is given as God forgives your trespasses freely, fully, completely, without any merit or any worthiness needed. Mercy is shown on the sons of this world through the treasure of Christ's blood, which is washed over you in your baptism. Jesus gives the Father's greatest treasure, that is, his son's, his own life, to gain for both himself and his father a church that is a body of believers, you, his fellow brothers and sisters, children of light, to dwell with him in his eternal home. Jesus recklessly squandered all that was his, unjustly even, to gain for himself you. (laughs) So having been made children of light, Jesus would have you learn something of what it means to live together, of our life together as Christians. That final phrase that Jesus said, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. This explains what he means. You've been freed from all thoughts of earthly wisdom when it comes to wealth and time Indeed, to your own life. You no longer need to look at your home, your church, even your money, like the world does. They aren't treasures to store up or to hold on to. The stuff of this life, including your very life, has been redeemed. That is, bought back, bought back to be given away. To be wise, not in the way of the sons of this world, but to be wise as sons of light, is actually to squander and to waste your possessions and that of your master, your Lord Jesus Christ, to gain friends. That is, you've been freed by Jesus' own reckless generosity to win friends for himself in heaven. So we're not about the sons of this world trying to question motives and to try to jockey for position, to gain notoriety and importance in this world, simply to look at our neighbor, to consider their need, 
and to support them in that need. To show them love, not leaving it to someone else or to some other institution, but to see them as Christ sees them, as one for whom he has died. Therefore, St. Paul writes, in conclusion, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but do everything in humility, counting others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own self-interests, but to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted on him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. In Jesus we see a wasteful, it seems, squandering, even unjust giving of life, death upon a cross. But we learn under the cross, God has won for himself a kingdom, that every tongue would confess Jesus is Lord and give glory to God the Father. Thanks be to God that he gave his son to give his life for us sinners, that he gave up all of his strength, even squandering it on us to make us strong, that he spoke the truth in love even when it cost him his own life. I'm relieved that actually in Jesus' sense of stewardship, mercy wasn't a budget line item. The seemingly unjust steward of Christ, of his Father's wealth, was actually the very thing that we poor sinners need. Otherwise, we would have been doomed to weakness and death. But instead, he has won for us, dwelling in his eternal kingdom. Thanks be to Jesus in his holy name. Amen.